Welcome to The Lamppost in the Woods, the podcast that shines a light on the significance of the greatest stories ever told. From fairy tales to literary classics to the parables of Jesus, these stories have influenced the lives of countless people and still do. Here at The Lamppost in the Woods, we journey through the great books, dramas, poems, and stories to find what they have to say for our lives today. I'm your host, Dinah Koppel, and joining me in this fellowship are Benjamin Koppel, Jennifer Malik, and Evan Zenobia. Classic. Noun. A work of art of recognized and established value. Classic. Adjective. Judged over a period of time to be of the highest quality and outstanding of its kind. Classic. A book which people praise and don't read. Mark Twain. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1, What Makes a Classic? This is our very first episode of Season 2, so welcome back, everyone. Woo! Now, this wasn't... Woohoo! Yay! Woo-hoo! We are very excited. Now, listeners, there wasn't really a break for you all since we're still releasing an episode every month, but for those of us on the other side of the microphone, we had a little bit of a break between our seasons, so... My fellow podcasters, how does it feel to be back recording and to be starting on season two? I'm so excited. Feels good. Yay. We're excited. We got a great words season prepared. So words are insufficient. Very good. Well, we're excited. <laughs> We've got a lot of fun stuff planned for the season. So we are happy to start with episode one. And so today we're going to be talking about the classics. Now, all our lives, we've been told that we need to read the classics, but why should we read the classics? Even more importantly, why are some books considered classics and others not? So today our quest is to answer the question, what makes a classic a classic? Now we say this in our um, intro to the beginning of all of our episodes, but part of our goal on this podcast is to talk about the greatest stories ever told, right? We want to talk about the importance in fiction and why it matters to our lives. And Classics, I would say, are books that are considered by the world or a huge number of people to be some of the greatest stories ever told. And so for our purposes on this podcast, I think it's important for us to know what we mean when we say the word classic and just to have a good working definition of classic. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we are happy that everyone has joined us. And at the beginning of the episode, we read you a dictionary definition of the word classic because... Gotta always start with a good dictionary definition, right? I mean, come on. That just goes without saying. I love me a good dictionary definition. Um, <laughs> but the, as you'll see as we get into our discussion today, the working definition of what is a classic and what makes a classic is different for different people. Uh, there are books out there that are debated whether or not it is a classic, whether it, it, it is a classic, whether or not it should be considered a classic. Um, so we are going to go ahead and dive into it. So to start us off, Evan, we're going to direct our first question to you. What types of books do you think of when you hear the word classic? So like imagine you're at your local Barnes and Noble and you see that table right at the front and it has all of the pretty hardback gold edged pages with a little ribbon bookmark in there. Those books, what do you think of when you think of those books? What types of books are typically on those tables at Barnes and Noble? I mean, I own a couple of those because they're just like too nice <laughs> not to buy. Um, so I, like for for instance, I guess like uh, I have the um, I have the picture of Dorian Gray. I have Frankenstein. I have Dracula. Um, 
I think I think what I I think I define that or look at that as books that kind of have reinvented a genre or reinvented writing as a whole. Um, and so I know something that we had talked about or something we had listed in our, in our show notes a little bit is, you know, are they, are they all high quality? And I think from every, from every classic work that I've read and I went, I went through lists of classics and I was actually surprised at how many I'd actually read myself. Um, but going through that, I'm like, you know what, these all, whether or not I like the book, whether or not I like the content, the majority of them contain very high quality writing. And I feel like classics without a doubt contain, contain some of the best work of that author. Um, and I really don't think that's, I, I don't know if I've ever read something that wasn't high quality when it comes to classic, whether or not I liked it, you know? That's good. So definitely well-written. Does that count for a crime and punishment, so that's Evan? One... Yeah, that's true. And Catch-22. <clears throat> it's a little bit, you know, it, here's the tough thing, too. Something like I crime and punishment, right? I an episode here, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think, maybe I do is, think maybe it's really well-written. To... <laughs> <laughs> it's never maybe. hard. All right, we'll just leave it at that. The only <laughs> thing is, though, it's also a, it's also a, a translated... Yeah. Yes, but it's translated, right? So it's like it wasn't originally I've actually English, heard. Yeah. You mean you guys have read the original a... Russian? I heard it's beautiful in Russian, though. <laughs> you know, well, everything's always <laughs> going to be better in the original language. It always, it always be better in the original. I agree. So the moral of the story: Evan needs to learn Russian so he can read *Crime and Punishment* in Russian and then come to love the book. I'll pay for your. Whether or not I like it. I'll pay for your Delta <laughs> University your classes, classes to, wow. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. That's good. Okay, so books that are well-written, uh, that definitely is something that's a classic. Like, for me, when I first think of the word classic, um, I think of the books that you read in school, right? Whether it was maybe not as much in junior high or in elementary school, but, like, high school and maybe even in college, the classics are a lot of times the books that you have as assigned reading in school. Now, whether or not you actually read them if they were assigned, that's a different discussion. <laughs> I mean, I do. I, I see some of you guys out there with your spark notes or watching the movie instead of reading the book. But a lot of times classics are what is assigned in school. Okay. And, and we all did that. Okay. The only book I did that with was Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. What? Which is funny because it's a that's very like 100 short book. pages long. It's so I know, short. And, <laughs> and it's good. <laughs> it's good. See, I did not. I <laughs> maybe that's why I just could not get into it. So sorry, Mr. Brem, my AP English teacher, senior year. That was the one assigned oh. reading book that <laughs> I think I just did spark notes on. I was like, I, I cannot, I cannot even. I just, I cannot. Get I did into that it. with a tale but, of two um, cities, but that was like eight hundred pages long. And that yeah. one is really good. That one for sure is good. It's but if also you think long about it, like when you're fifteen. That's very true. You think about it, <laughs> classics, like, these are books that a lot of people, even if they don't know every single thing about the book, they have, like, a working knowledge of the book. And so that's why I, I, I guess I think it makes sense that those are the re those are the books that are assigned in school because not everyone reads for pleasure. I mean, we might be amongst the minority, you guys, for the fact that we read for pleasure. And so not everyone is going to spend Friday night reading A Tale of Two Cities or Charles Dickens or, you know, a Great Expectations <laughs> or Crime and Punishment or whatever the case may be. But a lot of people know these books because they had 
some type of contact with them in school, right? Because they were assigned them or they they read them. So um, I think of the first thing I think of is books that that you were assigned to read in school. I'm going to have to make a caveat on that a little bit because I don't know if any of you have checked the high school and junior high English class reading lists lately, but they're reading all kinds of weird stuff these days. So I would, I would say, yes, you're correct. They're not reading the classics then. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're reading some weird stuff. So, uh, but Donna said some stuff that like, it kind of leads in well to, to what I think of when I think of a classic is that uh, the reason we, like you say, you read it in school and everybody read it, read it in school. It's what I think the most, the most, I, I don't know if this way, make something a classic but you can tell something's a classic is if people can't stop bringing it back up and people can't mm, stop retelling mm-hmm. it you know so one of them true. one of them like how many like how often do they make like a version of pride and prejudice they're always making yeah. like another Every movie 10 years. <laughs> another tv show like another pride and prejudice and zombies or whatever <laughs> think about sherlock holmes Sherlock Holmes has been like literally mm-hmm. no, there's never not been like an adaptation of Sherlock Holmes somewhere. Like there's always a TV show. It's a movie. It's a book. People writing spinoffs. There's writing books about Sherlock Holmes, little sister or movies about and just <laughs> stories that get told mm-hmm. over and over and over and over. Uh, you know, like, like the plays of Shakespeare, they're never not like being shown someplace. They're being shown all over the world all the time. You know, yeah, uh, it's true. I think you can really, mm-hmm. we could argue about what makes a classic or what doesn't make a classic, but I think one of the telltale signs of a classic is that people just can't stop telling it. You know, you, you, like yeah. you take take like a really modern example, like the superhero movies right now, like these characters that were created not as not as long ago as some of these you know, these bonafide classics, but characters that were created, some of them almost a hundred years ago, people just keep telling them oh, the, the different versions of these characters over and over and over, you know, how many different versions are there of Spider-Man or Batman or Superman? You know, it connects with people yeah. on a level where people just keep telling the story over and over and over our greatest myths, yeah. you know, like the, the, you know, the, the Odyssey mm-hmm. and the Iliad and, you know, people are always coming back to these stories and, it, and they're reading it over and over. They're republishing it. A reprinting it or they're telling the same story over and over i think that's a that's a sign this is a classic that's true i was um in researching for this episode i was looking up some quotes and some different what other people have said about what what makes a classic and i came across an article and it was about a man named italo calvino i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but he was an italian writer and journalist and he actually wrote a book called why read the classics, which would be very pertinent to this discussion. And he had several different criteria about what makes a classic. And um, one of the things that he said, which, and so I'm going to quote, it says, a classic is a book, which even when we read it for the first time, gives the sense of rereading something we have read before. And that Mm. goes totally into what you're saying too, Benjamin, is that like, even though these are stories that keep being retold, whether it's different movie adaptations of something or it's just similar stories, which goes right into the archetypes. Yeah. And you, you can look at how some of these, a lot of these stories might be similar, but there's something about these stories that we love and they keep being, keep being told over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that basically goes into exactly what I think a classic is as well. And when I was thinking about it, I think a classic is something that can be picked up in any time period, in any nation, among any culture. And the narrative can be both understood and enjoyed by readers. And it made me think of 
you know, just this idea between that classics like fairy tales, they share some universal truths that transcend beyond a particular place in time. So kind of what Ben was alluding to as well, that it's a story that's being told over and over and over again, just kind of like fairy tales, right? It's these, they transcend beyond just a particular setting, a particular time. And that's why we keep going back to the classics, even though we didn't grow up, say, during the time of Shakespeare or Jane Austen, we relate to the characters that are in those in those stories, right? And I think that's what makes a classic a classic. That's good. I like that. And that I makes like me it. think, Jen, back to uh, kind of a flashback to, to season one, whatever episode it was, when we talked about all the different versions of Cinderella, remember? And we talked about them from all the different mm-hmm. cultures and how it's a similar story. And maybe yeah. they were from different time periods, but it was the simil- similar universal story about the suffering heroine doing the right thing and it working out for you in the end. So, so good. I, I love what you said about it. It has to transcend cultures and it transcends, transcends time. And I think it has to apply. That's another thing that I was thinking of too, is it, it's something that has to apply to uh, different generations. Like we can read something like Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice, which was written over 200 years ago, and it still has something to say to us today, even though obviously the time is so different, but we can look at something and see what it says for human nature. And there's something about the book that's still relatable to us. It's, it's, I, think start I think there's something to be concept. said about. Go ahead, Evan. Sorry, go ahead, Evan. Uh, I, just, I think there's something to be said about like, if you, if you really break it down, maybe the, even the economics of a classic book. And sometimes a classic is made like, I'm certain that there are a number of books that would are, would be classic caliber, but they lacked circulation. They lacked the backing mm-hmm. of a publisher. They lacked. Mm-hmm. And so there's something to be said about um, a, a little bit of, of variable in play when it comes to a book that just so happens to be picked up by the right person and distributed, um, you know, as a pamphlet or as a, as a small handout to get people hooked in the right neighborhoods. Like, um, you know, there's, there's definitely some of that at play. And I think now more than ever, if we talk about books that have, that are like trying to approach classic status in the last hundred years, like there's so much competition Mm. that, yeah, that it takes, it takes (laughs) so true some level of unknown for it to really break through, um, and make it onto every shelf at, you know, physical bookstores and get bought out. Like some of it's just logistics and really good publishers have a way of putting out a lot of really good books. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned <laughs> that, 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 Evan, that's true. because when I was doing, yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that Evan, because when I was doing research, I kept finding like, especially from the 1700s, the 1800s classic authors, a lot of them didn't even see success in their time. So like, for example, the Bronte mm-hmm. sisters didn't see success until after they passed on. And, and like you said, it, it, someone found it and said, you know what, I see the gold in this, I see the gold in this story, and then ended up giving this author an opportunity. And they never got to see the fact that, you know, 200, 300 years later, students are now studying the classics. Well, maybe not so much, I guess now, but, <laughs> you know, when we were in school, <laughs> when we were in school, and it, it all comes down to that, that someone took the opportunity to be like, no, this story needs to be told and how important that is to allow these stories to emerge. Yeah, that's really interesting to, to think about what 
what books and what authors were not a success during their time and who's and who were like you mentioned the Bronte sisters mm-hmm. just sisters Jen and um some of them for some of their books some of the sisters may have been a little bit more Charlotte may have had a little bit more notoriety than some of the others but they didn't receive they didn't have any type of success until after they were after they were gone and maybe that did have something to do with how stuff was circulated Evan like Charles Dickens for example a lot of his books were written or they I don't know if they called, they called them periodicals. Like it was put like a chapter or so was serialized. placed in the newspaper. Uh-huh. Serialized. Thank you. That's when the you, word. Yeah, when you serialize a chapter a story, or so was yeah. placed. Yes. In the newspaper. I think even Middle Middlemarch by George Eliot would have been released My like goodness, that as that well. My goodness. Does that take 10 so... years to get to read that then? Okay. Middlemarch, okay, Middlemarch <laughs> is not that much longer than some of Dickens' stuff. Well, but him too. It's like, it, like you, you can, you can see why he wrote his book so long. Cause he was trying to keep that, make that paper. You know, he had to keep that every money. week, every week he had to release yeah. a few more pages. So he just drew it out for like three years. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he had so many characters. Like you knew what you were about. What else did he Charles. have to do? You knew what you were about. But, but kind of back to what you were, what you were saying, Evan, it's really, it's, it's interesting to think about what variables would have been in place to make some of these books become popular because, and we, I know we all have our very beloved classic authors, but it makes me wonder, okay, it, were their books really so much better than other books of the time? Like, I love Jane Austen. She is mm-hmm. one of my absolute favorite authors. I think her stuff is absolutely brilliant. But during her lifetime and when she was writing, she wasn't the only one who was writing those types of books. Um, there's other authors who were doing some things that were similar who are nowhere near as popular as her. So it is interesting to know or to think about, okay, why did Jane Austen become so much more popular? And what about her works, you know, stood the test of time when other people during during the time were not as popular? So I think there definitely, might be a little, a, a smidge of luck. Or, I don't know if luck is the right of, word. Yeah, de- there's definitely luck in there. That's, that has, I mean, mm-hmm. good fortune has to be factored in there someplace. Even, even just like Evan said, for people that actually get published in the first place or actually get picked up by somebody right. like there's there's probably tons of classics out there that never will get published or were never published and stuff like that so right obviously with jane austen it's like i think it's, it's probably kind of like shaking the the salt shaker and only some of the the grains of salt come out you know like some some yeah. of it it's, it's it's luck too but i think that's part of the way you figure out a classic it's really hard to figure out if something's a classic without there being a long period of time because you have to see if it stays up there you know, like yeah, it could come out true. today and be way above all the competition. But then as as the graph moves on and you have like all the weight of ages, did it stay up there? Like supposedly, true. Like, you know, there's all those different, you know, arguments about Shakespeare. Like, did he actually, was it actually Shakespeare that wrote all his plays? You know, did he steal from other people? There's ideas that a lot of the stories he told were being told by other people. But for some reason, yeah. Shakespeare's. He was the famous one. His stood out. Now, obviously, I think we yeah, can tell four hundred years, four hundred, four hundred fifty years later, we can tell that, yeah, Shakespeare's plays were pretty. You know, th- there's something pretty important about those plays, and they're 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 pretty uh, uh, powerful and true to life because they've actually lasted and we're still performing those right. plays. You know, so mm-hmm. obviously, we we can tell now, five hundred years later, that Shakespeare's plays. Um, are classic because, but it took 500 years, you know, another 500 years of people writing plays to see that. Wow, Shakespeare is actually really good, which I actually think That's is true. really interesting because you go back and study Shakespeare, which I haven't done a ton, but I, I I've done some in some in school. He was actually popular, super popular during his time too. 
He was yeah, like, like, oh, yeah. like nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. all the movies that win Academy Awards are like twelve people saw the movie, you know, and like it made no money. <laughs> and all the really popular ones, people think they're like a lower quality. But in Shakespeare's time, his plays were like the super popular plays. But now, but they're also these high quality kind of like classics that we still consider classics today, which is yeah. compared to our day to day, I think it's kind of it's kind of the opposite. Like the ones that are considered classics are the ones that like two people have read and all the ones everybody (laughs) reads or the movies everybody watches like, Oh, those are classics. That's like, that's popular fiction or whatever. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. Like the two can't happen at the same time. Yeah. And I'm just wondering in Shakespeare's time, how many other playwright writers were there? Well, I mean, there, do you guys know of any other? There were definitely less. I don't know if anybody else knows. I'll just tell you, what I've studied at least there were obviously less than there are today. And also during Shakespeare's time, there was heavy censorship. Everything had to go through the censor. Mm. It's kind of surprising. Some of the mm-hmm. stuff got through when you think when you read his plays, <laughs> but they were heavily censored. Yeah. And so Shakespeare, <laughs> here, and here might be one of the luck things. Shakespeare had like the patronage of the queen, you know, yes. and like, you know, mm. so, so he was like, he had the patronage of these powerful people. That's why his plays were always out there, but you can read all kinds of other plays during the time uh, one of my classes in my uh, grad work was about english we did english renaissance renaissance literature focusing on plays during that time other than shakespeare like christopher marlowe is another mm. one who's compared to shakespeare a lot and a lot of people will say that shakespeare copied him on some of them or they there's evidence that they wrote some of the plays together and his are high quality mm. he just never reached the place that shakespeare did as far as probably volume of plays um but the quality of them is pretty good i mean like uh, a lot of our a lot of our concept of Doctor Faustus, you know, Faust mm-hmm. who sells the cell to Mephistopheles, the devil. A lot of that 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 comes from uh, Marlowe's play. I mean, it's it's based off of a somewhat off of a like an old story. And there's the opera that 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 German guy wrote. I can never pronounce his name. Um, but there were other <laughs> popular ones at that time. But when we when we shake them all out, Shakespeare the one is the one that always comes to the top, and he, that, that's well known today. You know, so I think that's at least an argument to say if it's if we still remember it, then that's that's a classic, mm-hmm. you know. Right. I don't know what you guys think about that, but no, well, and it also sounds like based on what you said, it all comes down to who you know. That too. too yeah. Which is right why time, some right of place, these yeah. classics emerge. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I wrote in my notes, right time, right place. And mm-hmm. it's kind of some weird reason sometimes make books popular don't you have a little bit of a kind of a fun little anecdote jen about uh the great gatsby and world oh, war ii yeah. <laughs> uh, if we go back to last season during world war ii the great gatsby was not popular at all um for some reason and for some reason so of world course II, there's a reason why some... <laughs> i don't think it's that good of course there's a reason why it wasn't popular. let her tell the story oh, then no. we'll, we'll okay. talk about this one. you know what this is the first disagreement because i love I the great gatsby so <laughs> diana and i are on opposite okay, okay tell here. your story i don't know how evan and ben feel about the book okay <laughs> okay <laughs> um yeah so during during world war ii uh they were like you know what we need to send some good books out to our soldiers because on their downtime, they need to read. And so they would, they would send the Great Gatsby out. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know why they chose depressing content, but during World War One, they actually sent Jane Austen to soldiers. See, which is there you go. That's something those... that could raise people's spirits. Yes, yeah. so that that's more that's, that's... some uplifting content. 
Yeah, but that seems like the total but, opposite book you would send to a soldier fighting a war. <laughs> It's like here's. I mean, to here's be these fair, it is short. They'll ne- they'll never fight in wars. They're rich. They're famous. They only have to worry about like I, I have to live in a smaller mansion than okay. my Aegis mansion. You know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but real quick, real quick, when we first started talking about why we read stories, one of the things that we mentioned was escapism. So this was fair so enough. different from the situation yeah. that they were in that that's why reading Jane Austen was something that was probably something to be enjoyed. And I'm sure they made fun of it. Like a bunch of soldiers reading Jane Austen together, they probably just had more fun making fun of the content. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's true. Who knows? Hey, fair enough. They rolled cigarettes you know, out of the so I just, <laughs> I just imagine like some commanding officer being like, where's, where's, Private Johnson, he like walks into the tent and you got this guy like sitting on a small table with like a teacup and a bonnet or something. Aww. Like, what are you doing? I'm reading Pride and Prejudice, that, okay? That would make for a that would make for a good uh movie or a, a new adaptation. Yeah. Pride <laughs> so, yeah. and Prejudice getting I think they probably tore the pages the out trenches. and rolled cigarettes out of them, but you know. Aw, yeah, don't do that knows. to Jane. What? But, I said, don't do that to all Jane. that to say to dear Jane. Finish all, the great all that to Gatsby, say, the Great Jen, Gatsby. So okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the Great Gatsby <laughs> was sent off to these soldiers, and it became really popular. I don't. I don't remember how. I don't recall how many copies were sent out, but there were hundreds of thousands of copies of this book sent out, and they were actually pocket size, so they could put it in their pocket. Right next to their pocket-sized New Testament. See, that's what I'm saying. At least (laughs) Great Gatsby was short. Like, they couldn't have put a pocket-sized Middle March or a pocket-sized Hill of Two Cities. You can't hardly hardly make a... Four pockets. Backpack-sized Middle March. Four pockets, yeah. (laughs) But then they got back from the war, and um, it became really popular in the 20th century, so much so that we all had to read it in high school. So... I actually Please, never had to read it in school. I didn't wait. I take that. You didn't. You didn't have to read it. Maybe That's I did. Surprising. If we did, I, I like didn't still read it. If today, we did, I didn't pay not. attention to. It. I didn't really pay attention, so I read it later. Maybe we did. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't read it. Maybe I didn't read it, but I read it later. But Jen brings up like I think. Gatsby. That that's a good point of what I was uh, a good uh, example of what I was talking about too. Is that when Gatsby came out, like what in the twenties, Jen, or the thirties? When did it come yeah. out originally? Like oh, 29 gosh. or something? I want to say it was 31. probably early 30s. It was either late 20s or early 30s, but it was right during 25, the 1925. Oh, 25. Oh, okay. Wow, that's actually so really it was nice right in the jazz era. So it would have... So, it was, yeah. That's interesting. But anyways, so mm-hmm. so when it came out, 20s, moving into 30s, we start hitting the depression. That's not a very good book to read when you're depressed. But <laughs> if you read, if you take that book and look back on it today... The reason I think that it deserves to be called a classic, even though I don't particularly enjoy reading it, I think it's a classic because <laughs> it, uh, it, in, it encapsulates what the 20s, like the important aspects of the 1920s yes. in America very, very well. Mm-hmm. You know, this very right. like kind of almost hedonistic pleasure sort of role, but there's this very dark mm-hmm. undercurrent at the same time. And so that's why I think Donna mentioned something about this, but Gatsby seems like it's true to life and it, it describes life yes. very accurately during that time. So I think it deserves to be a classic. Now, is it entertaining? Not, I guess people could say, I don't think it's that entertaining, but I think you, you can read it and get a picture of that time period very well. That's good. Okay. Can I say, I agree completely with that. Can I say why I enjoy Gatsby? 
Sure, go for reasons. Sorry, Jen, I didn't okay. mean to put you on the defensive. This is like Jen's <laughs> no, defense of no, the great cast. Good. Good. No, it's, it's on topic, though. It's I, on topic. I hope, you know, and there's got to be some listener out there that's like, yes, um, you know, Evan <clears throat> and hates just a time spoiler, and punishment. Spoiler and... real quick. We, we, we are going to talk about this book later. So we won't give everything yes, about Gatsby. Yes, we are. This we are. Thing. So I'm not, I'm not going to yes. get into it. I'm not going to get yes. too into why, it. Jen. But I'm going to say additionally why I think it's a classic. Mm-hmm. One, the imagery in that book is beautiful okay it's well so, written i don't too. know if anyone recalls but it's very well written the imagery it, it puts you right there um yeah. and i and i think it's just yeah, so enough. well written also we've talked about in this and i think it was in our fairy tale episodes that we'll read fairy tales because they're a cautionary tale right and i think mm-hmm. with great gatsby mm-hmm. a lot of it is it's a cautionary tale really and so we can look at it in our lives and see how this is not in the direction that you should go. And there's so much powerful imagery in that. And another writer who also does this is John Steinbeck, who really evokes this in The Grapes of Wrath and East of Eden and a lot of his other works. So there's like two short, short, short reasons. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Uh, (laughs) One of the things we've kind of skirted around a little bit is for a book to be a classic, it has to stand the test of time. And this is something I've been thinking about a bit, which is why I guess I don't love the phrase like modern day classic, because it's like, for in my opinion, for something to be a classic, it needs to have been around long enough that it has to, the people are still reading it. Like you talked Ben, about mm-hmm. um, people are, we're still reading Shakespeare after hundreds of years. And so I think books have to be around long enough. So like, I'm sure there are books that are being written today or even written 10 and 15, 20 years ago that will probably eventually be considered classics. But I don't know if they're considered classics yet because we haven't seen it. And a lot of them that are considered classics. Probably a lot that are considered, just real quick, a lot that are considered classics now yeah, that in 10, 20 years won't be considered classics at all. Sorry, just. Yeah. No, you mean true. an example? That's true. Like, what are you. Yeah, actually, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I'm with Evan here. I don't mean to Give cut you off, but I want to slip that, that in there before you. No, that's good. That's or, good. No, go ben. ahead. Go ahead. Benjamin. I think you, I think they said you okay, well, like, books okay, that so might, me... might not be. Because I agree with you. I think there's, I have a very specific um, example, pro and, and I guess a very specific example on yeah. something that won't be popular in 20 years and something that will be popular in 20 years. And so I just wanted to hear what you, give me an example of something you're like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to die you, off I, in the next 10 years. Yeah, I wanted to get you guys' opinion on it too. Um, not you put on a spot. I'm trying to. Okay, this is the only thing that comes to my mind, and I haven't even read this. But yeah, so what do you think? Like The Handmaid's Tale. Who's gonna mm-hmm. remember that book in twenty or thirty years? Like I don't. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I, it's that's relatively recent, right? That's it's not super recent. Yeah, but, but it's, it's very popular. Recent, yeah, it's super mm-hmm. popular, and the ideas right. right now are super popular. In it. But stories like, I mean. Catch twenty two is still considered a classic, and I would have thought that would have died off a long time ago. But <laughs> books, it should book, have books that have a really specific like political um, slant mm, or political mm-hmm. bend on I, I mm. no matter what side of the spectrum, because politics are always big at the moment, but then culture moves on, and you look back and you're like, what's the deal? So something like that, I think. Oh, with books like that are hailed Which, as okay. classics. And then, and then you move on down the road and people, people like, they're not in that political moment anymore. They forget about it. And then the only time it comes back is like, oh, it was this kind of oddity <laughs> during this time. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of one That's like, really okay, good point. history. 
But that that's interesting. Uh, that's interesting that you mentioned that, though, because if you think about, like, for example, Charles Dickens, a lot mm-hmm. of his work, why he started writing it was because of the political times. And he had like a political agenda with some of his. Work. Right, right. So I'm not saying that and I would argue, but I would argue that stuff for Charles Dickens of all the stuff that is said in Charles Dickens, I think the political piece is the part that probably holds up the least. Like when I read Charles Dickens, mm. that's the part I have to research. That's the part I have to look in to see, okay, what was going on at this time? And that's not the part I don't think. It's not that the main driving exa- it's Exactly. It's not the right. enduring piece behind it, you know? Right. It's so there was something about human there's, nature there's, or people. There's clearly other stuff ahead, in Benjamin. Dickens that makes him a cl- makes him last. But even mm-hmm, but that right. even the political portion and, and I, I, I mean yeah, we weren't I would say alive it's not then. the political portion. Yeah, we weren't even we weren't mm-hmm. alive. I'm trying to think of another there's one in my brain. I know I'm trying to think of uh Okay, well let politics, me give an example. Politics change. Okay, here's yeah, an example. Yeah. What about Huckleberry Finn? Huckleberry Finn, every ten years it's mm-hmm. really awesome and then it's horrible. It's awesome, it's horrible. We don't like it. We love <laughs> yeah. it. Like, it goes back and forth. But that book <laughs> has survived however many years because it's a great book yeah. and it's a classic. Right. So okay, yeah. So you guys had example. What are you guys' examples? Evan had one. Donna had one. What were you guys? Yeah, go ahead, Evan. Then I'll say mine because mine's kind of going slightly off topic. So I was gonna say I have two. Like I'm the there was a within the last twenty years, right? We had we had young adult fiction that really like set itself apart as a genre, right? I don't really think things like Hunger Games or Twilight are really going to hold up. I think Twilight already is one of those that's fallen off drastically. It's probably true. Honestly, that's what right? I was going to say, but I was too insecure to say those, so I'm glad you brought well, it up. Well, because it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, have you have you read Twilight? I've read The Hunger Games. I've never read Twilight, though, no. Okay. I've never read <laughs> Twilight. Um, I haven't read Twilight. So I've read I, The Hunger Games. I don't think those are going to hold up, right? And yeah. so, Another instance, right? So I think... For the last like ten years, people have been obsessed with the like, Game of Thrones, both oh. both the books yeah. as well as as right. well as the shows and things like that. They can't even get they can't even get new series greenlit for Game of Thrones because there's no interest around it. People just don't really? care about it anymore, and it's only been a ten Interesting. year run. They've canceled a number huh. of of projects around really? the, that material. Um, whereas opposed to something like Harry Potter, which has become a generational and it's not yeah. been around more than two generations, but it's become right. a generational piece that there's all these properties around it and people can go to um, California or Florida and experience the world, the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Like, I think that's one of those that when you say instant classic, like I think Harry Potter will mm-hmm. hold up regardless of what era it's read in and it will always be a um kind of like a children's into young adults genre that just it defined the genre it changed the way that we looked at the genre and i think that's a big marker for things that end up being a classic is they took what what people had been doing and they completely redid it question for what genre and i have a reason to ask it what genre did it define and what genre did it read or redefine i think it so i think it redefined because i would put it in the same category as the chronicles of narnia right i would put harry potter i would put it squarely and not even but like juvenile fantasy really sure yeah yeah, you talk about it but but there's there's aspects of it that extend beyond juvenile fantasy but i think it was it took the magic of what chronicles of narnia presented through all of those books and presented it in a different manner. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think it redefined what, what that genre looked like and helped to not only redefine it, but build upon it. So it built upon the foundation. And so I think that's what, mm. that's one of the things that's a big moniker for me is it takes classics or things that take existing genres and they present them in different, engaging, exciting new ways that build upon what's already been presented before um, and kind of take it to new levels. Because I think, I think, you know, I don't think, I think Harry Potter is a property that will continue to live on through new books and through adaptations and through films and just all sorts of different mediums. Um, and it's built upon what, like, like I said, what Narnia was, what, what, uh, Lord of the Rings was like, I really do think that's all in the same, it exists in the same place, um, of, of fantasy and. Yeah. And, and here's, here's, here's why I asked that. And, uh, at some point <laughs> we'll probably have to have an extended discussion about Harry Potter. Cause I have stuff to say on it, but I don't want us to get sidetracked on it. But the reason I asked it is because I actually just finished reading Harry Potter, the books for the first time. And what I thought was really interesting as far as genre that you're talking about, I agree with you ostensibly. Um, but as far as genre, I feel like Harry Potter starts as like Chronicles of Narnia, children's fantasy. But by the end, it's like the first teen novel series. That's what I thought. So when you look at it, it looks like to me, Harry Potter seems like it birthed and spawned all of this, this like young adult, uh, uh, fiction because it, i mean when they first started coming out in the 90s that wasn't necessarily that much of like a separate genre that really became a separate genre when we mm -hmm. were young with twilight mm -hmm. younger games yeah mm -hmm. what, the diver like all that sort right. of thing um mm -hmm. and i had just the, the distinct like like feeling reading like the ending of the harry potter series like this feels kind of like some of the the tone of the hunger games or some of uh I, again, I haven't seen her watch Twilight, but some of those sorts of movies and books and stuff like that, uh, it's different and it still kind of isn't that fantasy genre. But one of the reasons it'll probably last again and why it should be considered a classic is it, from from my perspective, it looks like it kind of helped birth a new genre. Now, whatever your opinion mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. young adult fiction is, it's a pretty popular <laughs> yeah. genre that sells a lot of it, it makes a lot of money. Yeah, it does. And it's like Harry Potter almost. Like you're right, redefined the genre and almost kind of birthed another genre, sort of. Mm -hmm. That those are the sorts of things that classics do. Well, because we're starting mm -hmm. to get into the discussion, I think, of like subgenres and classics, or not not really subgenres, but classics within genres. Like I don't know I don't know if I think Harry Potter will stand the test of time to be classics like on the same level, if you can even compare it to like an Austin or a Dickens or George Eliot or anything like that but within that genre whether you want to consider that fantasy or you want to consider it you know YA or children's fiction whatever it's definitely classic within that genre like you guys know I love Agatha Christie and I don't know if we'd consider Agatha Christie like the classics but within mystery that's she's like the quintessential like the classic within mystery so within that genre she I think is like the classic and even whoever, Evan, you mentioned Chronicles of Narnia. Um, we could maybe say that those are classic-ish or classic adjacent because they have stood the test of time, I guess. They came out, what, like the 40s and the 50s. So we're not quite at like 100 years. But it seems like they're within like, more within like children's literature. Like we can look at things like, um, yeah. 
Beatrix Ooh. Potter, or that's just the first one that popped mm-hmm. up. And like, as like children's literature and classics within children's literature, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and true, good point. But I think another thing that defines a classic is that it transcends the genre. It's not just yeah, genre. true. And I think true. Chronicles of Narnia, yeah. you could definitely say Chronicles of Narnia transcends the genre because it's no longer just children's literature. Right. It's no longer just fantasy. It's no longer just religious literature. Like there's atheist people right. who love mm-hmm. Chronicles of Narnia, people who don't care about religion. So those, I think that's a mm-hmm. great example, Dinah, of what does make a classic. Yes, we have classics in the genre like Agatha Christie, and then you have uh, a Chronicles of Narnia that transcends those genres. Mm-hmm. Right, which, well, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned Agatha Christie and mystery, because Sherlock Holmes is mystery, and that, you always see Sherlock Holmes in the classic section, but you wouldn't Agatha Christie, even even though Agatha Christie has sold more books. She's one of the most, right, like, sold authors of all time. Exactly, exactly. Next to Shakespeare. So maybe, so maybe it's just the fact that Christie hasn't been along for, been around for quite as, quite as long, and Conan Doyle has an extra... I don't know when those books were written. Early 1900s. I'm just pulling that out. He has an extra 30, 40. Well, Christie was writing books from for like um, decades. So he has um, mm-hmm. several decades on her. And so maybe that's just, that's one of the reasons why. But one of the main, and you, you mentioned it briefly, Benjamin. One of the main things for me as to what makes a classic a classic is, is it true? And when I say that, do I mean, is it about an event that actually happened no, but does it tell us something true about ourselves and about human nature? And is there something relatable to it? And if we think about all mm-hmm. these classics books, the books that we love, or all of the, the the authors that we love so much, it says something true about us and true about human nature. I'm, I, I might mm-hmm. mess up the quote a little bit, but um, there's a book that I read last year, Jen and I both read actually called The Jane Austen Society. And essentially it's about a bunch of people that love Jane Austen and all of her books. So it's one of those meta kind of thing, like books about books. And um, one of the characters, the, he says the reason he loves Jane Austen, and I'm trying to get this right, is because it's about, um, I think he says unreal people who do real things or unreal people who have do real actions or have real lives or something like that. So in other words, stories that weren't like dealing with real issues. Exactly. Exactly. And so for me, Mm -hmm. that's really what classics, that's really what makes a classic a classic is what does it say about human nature and what does it say about us? What are some other things? Anything else you guys, what are other things about classics? One question that I've kind of been grappling with, and I was thinking about it today and I, it might be one of those um, chicken or egg type things. I was like, because I was thinking, okay, classic is something that people are still reading even after tons of time. And then I started to think, okay, well, are people still reading it because it's a classic? Or is it a classic because people are still reading it? I don't know. What do you guys think? It's a great, it's a great point. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's both. Well, I mean, sorry, go ahead, Jen. No, I was just going to say, I think it is both. And especially because we did bring up the whole thing of like an instant classic, right? So something like Harry Potter, which is the fifth sold book of all time, um, all time, like all time. Which one? Um, the mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The Her- Harry First Potter one. and the Sorcerer's Stone at 107 million copies sold. Um, so of all time. So it's, it's not, and, and I think this brings up like the point too, is that it's not that a book, it could be like the most sold book or you know, most sold author like Agatha Christie, but that doesn't necessarily define it being a classic, right? 
So even right. though it could be people, tons of people read this, right? It doesn't necessarily define it as a classic, but it makes us think, okay, a hundred years from now, <laughs> will Harry Potter be on the shelves next to Dickens and Austin? Right. Today it's being called an instant it'll, classic. It'll probably it canceled by then for something. So I don't think it's, that's, nowadays it's not a great, that's true. No, but know, it's we got to factor really that in if it's canceled, but. But it's a, <laughs> It's a really good Sorry. point that you can't just go by popularity because I was Googling yeah, true, just for fun. True. Right. What are the most Absolutely. sold books ever? And mm-hmm. um, like Fifty Shades of Grey was like way up there, Twilight, <laughs> all those books. And like, we probably don't need to go mm-hmm. much further to say that we don't think that those books are classics, right. you know? I've never mm-hmm. read them. I can't judge Although... them. <laughs> I mean, okay, fair enough. I've Although, not read yeah, them but, either. No, but... no, true. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, yeah, clar- not. clarification for everybody. But okay, but this this does bring up a point because I did look up the top ten sold books of all time. Okay, I'm nine interested. of those are I'm classics. Interested. I'm interested to know what those books are. Okay, why don't you read? And also, so where'd you I get it want, from? Okay, where'd it come from? Um, I, I it did come from a source. I do not have it on me, but it, I because okay. I ended up a going to like source? four different websites. Yes, and also okay. whenever you're doing research, you go to like four to five different right to make sure it's true. Um, no, I just so go to Wikipedia. I, just kidding just kidding (laughs) yeah very valid but i wanted to ask you guys what do you guys think is the most sold book of all time that is a classic and i mean whether or not it's going to be reported i will give you it's clearly the bible that's the most what do you think it is exactly okay okay whether whether or not whether or not that's been recorded on there because it's hard to record over thousand years but that's 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 the number one but other than that we already know that and it's excluding the bible it's like saying what's your favorite book you know whenever someone asks you that question they're like excluding the bible <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Um, I don't well, know. Up, I know up, for up. sure Ben's read. The... <laughs> I said I know you for know, sure I've Ben's read, it, read this book. I'm else. giving a hint. You've read it. I don't know if everyone else has read it, but I know for well, sure. I you've will read say it. I did some searching and... when I couldn't find a consistent list, so mm-hmm. I'll be interesting to see what the interested to see what this list Man. is. Is it um the most sold? So not the most read, but it's the me, most sold. Most, the most sold. Book of all time. You have to go like the Odyssey or Donkey Kong. Yeah, I, I just know that that's see, one that see, Ben's see, read. Books like that, it would be so old. It would be. <laughs> it would be really, really, Hold really on, hard Dana, to track that though. Don, Don Quixote. You no. Know? Bing, bing, bing. Like from yep. what point? What? Like, what? When Don did they? Woo! Is it? <laughs> when did they? Okay, yeah, so, it's Don Quixote. Like when did people start calculating that? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I went to several, yeah. several okay. sources. Okay. And, this is the answer, okay? <laughs> and Don Quixote has sold 500 million copies, which is wow. crazy. The second most sold book we mentioned is A Tale of Two Cities, only at 200 wow. million. So Don Quixote is like way, like way yeah. ahead of the game of all these classics. Well, Don yeah. Quixote is considered older than a lot of those other with, books. Within... Within like yeah. literary criticism, Don Quixote is most time considered like the first novel. It's like the first novel book that people wrote and read just for fun. It's considered. It, it is considered that, hmm. like the modern, well, the first modern book that was written in like as we think of books, not like a poem some guy read wrote, wrote or something like that, or that was mm-hmm. passed on orally. The first like modern book by a lot of people is considered to be Don Quixote, like novel. So I get that. So I guess that makes mm. sense, and it's international. It's not just in the That's U.S. I mean, it started in Spain. So, what yeah, were the other? It ones? had a couple hundred years head start. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Number three is the Lord. <laughs> number three is the Lord of the Rings. 
And oh, number nice four is The Little Prince. The Little What's Prince? What's that? Number Prince. four is not the, read that. the Little Prince. I have not either. What, <laughs> yeah. Who's it by? That's funny. So. By who? Little um, Prince. I Antoine de Saint, Saint Exupere or something well, like that. I'm going to have to look that up then. You definitely can't right. <laughs> Saint Supre. Oh, yeah. Harry wow. Potter and the Sorcerer's right, Stone. That's not even five. that old. That's only yep, 1943. That's not even that old. Yeah, it's not. I've never heard of that. So wow. It must have been real popular. Well, it must yeah, have been. Well, that's crazy. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is at number ten. So just in case. Well, you guys okay. well that's oh, it's good. On. Okay. We, we well, love that one. So enough. we we are in definite. Yeah, you can. The Hobbit is also in the top ten. Um, but yeah, you guys can do your own research. Makes your own sense. Time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you is guys. anybody <laughs> else <laughs> favorite book in the top ten except for mine? Just mine. Okay, no worries. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think mine is. Count of Monte Cristo. Where's it at? <laughs> I I don't know, Evan. I'm sorry. <laughs> no it's okay. My my favorite book is definitely not on this list. So, uh. unfortunately, I know. And it kind of pro- it probably depends on who's who's making the list as well, or maybe even what country or whatever it's from. But well, you guys, we are yes. going to start to transition uh, to the end of the episode. And so, for our last words, for our final thought for each of us, what I want us to do is to each give, based on our discussion that we've had today, to give our definition of the classic, and then tell us what your favorite classic book is and how it. Uh, exemplifies that definition. So, Jen, you're going to be in the hot seat first. Give us your definition of a classic and then give us your favorite. Okay. Simple definition of a classic is a phrase we've all heard. It's a tale as old as time. That's that's what I would give with, with the definition yes. for a classic, is that it's something that transcends beyond time, right? And obviously, I already mentioned, I, I love The Great Gatsby, but Probably my favorite classic is, and this is actually one I read last year, so I don't even know um, if I can say like, oh, it's my all-time favorite classic, but I read a book called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and I've been recommending it to everybody. It was just set in the early 1900s. This book is, I think, over 70, 80 years old, and I, I picked it up because it was on a lot of people's lists that I saw, and I the reason why I think it's a classic and the reason why it's transcended beyond time is because it's about a young girl growing up in Brooklyn and one you're put in that time period, but you see her grow up and she's dealing with all these issues that as I'm reading it, I'm like, I've faced these things when I was growing up. Right. But I'm growing up a hundred years later in a completely different time, a different place, but it's still relatable. And so to me, that's what makes a classic. A classic is something that you can read in any time, no matter where you grew up, and you can take away something from the story and you can insert yourself in the story and see yourself living it out. It's good. I love it. All right, Benjamin, what is your definition of a classic? And then give us your favorite classic. Well, Jen Carter already went with the, the timeless thing. So I'm going to say, I think a classic is, is, a, is a work that is true. It's true to life. It's true. It, it describes the structure of reality accurately it's true to the way even though it's not necessarily it happened in quote unquote in real life but it's it's true to how things would happen and it and it it's written in a way that that describes our lives accurately we can and, and like again we can see ourselves in there um and obviously the the 
I think the, the number one book there is the Bible that's true to life. So, but, but we're going to go, as Jen said, we can't use that as the answer to everything. So uh, <laughs> one of the first books that I, that I really started recognizing that about things being true is, is a book that probably you guys never, never heard of. And it's called wise blood by Flannery O'Connor. The book I read during my, uh, my English schooling. And um, I never would have read it on my own. I hated it the first time I read it. I hated it the second time I read it. And I really didn't like it the third time, but I've read it like four or five times now. And I just kept coming back to it. And I couldn't figure out why until I started thinking about this idea. There's, it describes some things about life that are very true, even though that it's not necessarily realistic, quote unquote, the, the theme and the point of the book is feels true and it seems to describe things about life that are accurate. So, I mean, I could have said crime and punishment as well. Crime and punishment is one I really read mm-hmm. and thought it seemed, it seemed to describe the, the structure of right and wrong in a very accurate way, but I'll, I'll go with, wise blood if anybody checks that one out it's a rough read but there's something true about it and i would see it as a classic wonderful well for me i'm going to for my definition i'm going to go back to our friend italo calvino who i mentioned earlier in the episode and and i mentioned about how he used different criteria to talk about what makes a classic and multiple of his criteria talked about rereading books or books that you can read over and over again. And he had mentioned that the classics are books that you usually hear people say, I'm rereading, never I'm reading, you know, which I thought was kind of cool. And we're specifically that a classic is a book, which I think this is what I'm going to work for as my definition for right now is a classic is a book with which with each rereading offers as much a sense of discovery as the first reading. And so for me, you all know that I, I love Middlemarch. Middlemarch is my favorite book and it is a classic. So I'm, I don't know if it's cheating. I'm going to go ahead and say Middlemarch is my favorite classic book because something about that book, I've read it a couple times and last year in 2021, I, I read it actually physically read it and then listened to the audiobook twice. And that's, I'll tell you, that's a long audiobook. And even listened to the mm-hmm. audiobook multiple times, I picked out different things or there were different things that struck out to me or there was something new that I discovered and it showed me something new each time. And the thing that I love about classics are that it never gets old and there's always something that you can learn from it. There's always something new from it that you can get from the book. So middle March is it for me. Evan, you can go ahead and finish us off with your favorite or what's your your definition of a classic and then give us your favorite. I think a classic simply redefines genres. Um, and, and again, I think it, I think it helps to build the depth of, of foundation of, of certain books and builds upon things that have come before it, but, but in, empowers it and, bring certain genres to the forefront. I think classics do that really, really well and do it with excellent writing and kind of like a good movie can be determined by um, the cinematography. I think good writing has cinematography of the mind in a way, and it truly defines genres. Um, Obviously my favorite book is Count of Monte Cristo because it is a it is an adventure through, I feel like, multiple genres with mystery and betrayal and swashbuckling and treasure hunting and all of that. And so I think it does a really good job of of bridging those gaps. But I would also say that uh, two that I really think of a lot is uh, Frankenstein 
um, because of because of that monster genre, but also there's a psychological and a but then um, uh, Lord of the Flies is one that I feel like was not built upon anything else, but I feel like Lord of the Flies came out and it it was something that was so unlike anything we had read or experienced before. Um, and so that to me is one that, that is a, it is a classic that is, there's nothing else like it. Or there was nothing else like it at the time. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Evan. And thank you listeners for joining us on our quest today to find true meaning in our favorite stories. If you enjoyed today's episode, all about the classics, please make sure to subscribe to the lamppost in the woods and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our intro and outro music is called Missing Peace, and that's composed and recorded by Jacob Koppel. Jen, why don't you tell us where we can get connected on social media and where people can find us? So if you aren't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Lamppost in the Woods. And something that we've done this season that we didn't do last season is we have provided you our, our season two reading list ahead of time so that you can read the books ahead of time. And we got some hefty books ahead, but we're really looking forward to <laughs> so this season. So get to reading. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, start reading. Wonderful. Thanks, Jen. Well, everyone, we hope you will join us for our next episode. Benjamin, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about next time? For episode two of season two, we are going to be doing something a little different and we're going to come together and give you guys a reading review of all, each of us are going to have our, our, our favorite books and the best books that we read last year. And hopefully we'll give you a little bit of a, a shot in the arm to start your year off and uh, get you reading some new stuff. Awesome. Thank you. Well, everyone, wherever you find yourself on life's journey, we hope and pray that this lamppost in the woods will help guide you towards a more hopeful future. We'll see you next time.